John 4, starting at verse 4. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves 
and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Thank you. It's very, very good to be with you. Can you hear me? Good. So, if I haven't met you before, you haven't met me. I am Bishop Rachel. I have the joy and privilege of being uh, the Bishop of Gloucester, which covers Gloucestershire and a bit more beyond um, the Anglican churches, different worshipping communities, chaplaincies, fresh expressions, church schools, and all the amazing community work uh, that you and others do out there. So it's a delight to be here with you today. Now, because you've been doing uh, lots of singing and lots of listening, I'm going to get you just to do that thing where you turn to the person next to you and just for two minutes, um, so that's one minute each, just to say, perhaps name two or three, no more than that, two or three places, spaces you've been in in the week that's been, might have been in the armory, fantastic initiative there. It might have been in a coffee shop or a college or I don't know, might have been in a hospital waiting room, I don't know. But just name two or three spaces where you've been this week and whether you encountered anyone in those spaces. No right or wrong answers, you're not going to feed back. Just to get you thinking where you've been in this past week, so one minute each. Just turn to someone. Time for the next person to speak if they haven't spoken. Okay, you won't have finished sharing. You can carry on those conversations afterwards. But hopefully you've begun to just name some of the spaces you've been in the week that's been and some of the people you have encountered in those spaces. What we're going to do over the next 20 minutes is to walk through that long story we've just heard read of uh, Jesus 
encountering that woman at the well many hundreds of years ago. And as we just walk through this story, try and keep in your mind those different spaces and people you've encountered in the week that's been, perhaps already beginning to think this week, where are you going to be and who might you encounter? So let's just set the scene. Many of you will be very, very familiar with this story in the Gospels, and perhaps for some of you, it is completely new. It's a very hot day. We haven't had one of those recently, but a very, very hot day. And Jesus and his friends have been traveling from the town to village, and Jesus is unsurprisingly very, very weary. His friends have gone into town to find food, and Jesus sits down by a well. The well is the source of water for the local community, and a woman appears to draw water from that well. Now, there are all sorts of fascinating things about this encounter, but I want to start by stating the absolute obvious. Here is Jesus encountering an individual in a very mundane daily task, part of everyday life, drawing water. We turn on taps, but actually this was about going to the well in those days and drawing water. I don't quite know what the equivalent would be in your daily life, but I wonder what those mundane tasks are, the places where you spend your time day in, day out, probably ones you didn't even name in those um, stories you were just sharing, because they're just so mundane. And if someone asked you about your week, you probably wouldn't even think about mentioning them. The Holy Spirit is at work in those places. That's stating the obvious, but the Holy Spirit is at work in those very mundane places of our daily lives. Those are places both where you might encounter Jesus yourself amid your everyday routine, and where other people might encounter Christ in you. You might encounter Christ, other people might encounter Christ in you. Because the places and tasks of our daily life are bursting with opportunity. We've been singing about that, and I wonder if you made those connections. So back to this encounter uh, between Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus is weary, thirsty, and the woman is drawing water. But I just want to add a little bit of colour to this encounter because this well is in a place called Samaria. Now, I won't go into the details if you're not familiar with this, but what you need to note is it was not a place where Jews were welcome. So it's not a place where Jesus and his friends would have been welcomed. There was no love lost between Jews and Samaritans. Don't know what that would be equivalent in your life. So it's amazing that Jesus, a Jew, speaks with a Samaritan. But even more shocking, that this is a Jewish man speaking with a Samaritan woman. Not only in those days and at that time would it have been just shocking that a Jew was speaking with a Samaritan, but that a man was speaking with a woman that is also shocking. So here we have an encounter where all the norms of the day are being shattered. People's assumptions are being challenged. All sorts of divides are being crossed. And then let's note that this woman is coming to the well in the hottest part of the day. Now, if you've ever been to a country uh, where people still draw water from wells, 
you'll know that they don't go there in the hottest part of the day. Uh, when I've been to Africa, if you go out early in the morning or at dusk, that's when people from the community are coming to the well. <coughs> well, the reason that this woman was probably coming to the well in the hottest part of the day is exactly because she didn't want to encounter anyone else. She is carrying lots of shame. There are lots of things about herself which she is not proud. Things she doesn't want to discuss or reveal to other people. She doesn't want to come to the place where the community gather. She doesn't want to be in Starbucks or McDonald's or even in the armory where most people are gathering there because she's carrying shame. She wants to go at the times when she's not going to encounter people. And this is where I want to say something about assumptions. This woman is carrying shame and she knows or perhaps she just fears all the assumptions that people have about her. We couldn't survive our daily life without assumptions. When I came in through that door, I assumed that if I push on it, it will open. I assume that if I pour the water from the bottle, it will be wet. There are assumptions we make all the time. We couldn't live our lives without making assumptions. But assumptions can also be very dangerous when we never check them out, when we operate in our daily lives, in our encounters, carrying all those unspoken and hidden assumptions we're making about other people and the assumptions we have that they are probably carrying about the way they see us. And sometimes we need to name our assumptions, invite others to name their assumptions. Otherwise, we find often we're just talking past one another. Assumptions can be enormous blockages in our relationship with Christ and in our relationship with other people. So let's go back to this woman's shame and her assumptions about what others think of her and indeed the assumptions people have made about her. Let's just see how that narrative unfolds. You see, people in her community would have known that she'd had five husbands, that the man she's currently with is not her husband. We don't know the full story. These are just facts. And as with all stories, you can let your imaginations wander and wonder about what this woman's story had been. What had she experienced? What had led her to being in this position? What had happened to her in life that she'd ended up in this place? Well, whatever that story is, here she is with all her shame. And that's the motivation for her going to the well in the hottest part of the day. And what does she do? She encounters Jesus Christ in a mundane daily task and in a place where she's trying to hide. Shame can have awful impact on our lives. Often we try to hide we do things in our daily lives that are all about trying to deal with our shame. It can imprison us. And of course, when we encounter people who themselves are acting from a place of shame, we may not recognise it, or consciously or subconsciously, it prevents us from being willing to receive from that person, let alone give to them. And note that Jesus Jesus' starting place is not a patronising one of giving. You know, I've got lots of things I'm going to do for you. Jesus' great gift at that moment is in asking the woman to give him a gift, to give to him a drink. 
Now, if you look back on the week that's been, look back on that week with honesty, just recognize the people you've seen. Perhaps you didn't even encounter them. Perhaps you just saw them. Who, if you're truly honest, you don't quite think they're on an equal par with you. If we're going to enter into an encounter with them, it's probably much more likely to be about what can we give for this person? Perhaps a bit patronizing. Or what can we tell them? Because we don't quite see them on a par with us. They're the needy ones, not us. Well, Jesus, the unexpected stranger at the well, catches the woman off guard, surprises her, because he asks her to do something for him. And that shattering of assumptions opens up a very deep conversation. It opens up unexpected opportunity. So you stand on the threshold of this new week, the things that you know about the coming week, the things you don't know about the coming week. Are you open to perhaps ask something of someone else to enable meaningful and mutual encounter? Who might you ask in this coming week? Ask something of them that might then open up a mutual and meaningful encounter. So let's go back to this encounter at the well. Um, it's rather as if Jesus is speaking in riddles, and we won't go into all that now. But Jesus suggests to the woman that if she knew who he was, she would have asked him for a drink. And she doesn't really understand. But she does say, well, you've got nothing to draw water with. Uh, this well is deep. But all of that leads to Jesus talking about life-giving water eternal life. Here is an extraordinary conversation going on in a place of encounter and relationship. And it's in an encounter in which the woman is able to ask questions. Jesus gives that space for her to ask questions, to express her confusion. He doesn't just say to her, well, you sit down and I'm going to tell you how it is and give you all the answers. But out of her confusion and her questions and her muddle, Jesus keeps bringing her back to a central truth, which is that he is offering her life-giving water. As I was um, preparing this, I was thinking, actually, in my encounters last week, can I honestly say that metaphorically, in all my encounters, I was offering people life-giving water? Um, I know I wasn't. But actually, how would that be if we thought in all our encounters, we might be wanting to offer people life-giving water as we respond to their questions and confusion? So then Jesus rather provocatively says to the woman, go and bring your husband, go and call your husband, bring him here. And it's at that point that the woman says she doesn't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know that. I know everything about you already. I know not only that you've had five husbands, but I know that the man you're now with is not your husband. And we might know this story really well. And we might be a really confident follower of Jesus Christ who thinks that I'm stating the obvious to say that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And yet isn't it good to remind ourselves of that, that Jesus knows everything about us. Jesus knows us and Jesus loves us. And if we know that in our heads, how does that affect 
our hearts as we stand on the threshold of a new week? How is that going to affect how we live out our encounters, our daily tasks in the week ahead, knowing that Jesus knows everything about us? I wonder where you pause in your day to look at what does motivate you in what you say and do during each day. There are some things which look really good on the surface. Sometimes they can actually be motivated by the dark places within us. Sometimes it's because we want to look good or we want to be needed. We want to be successful. We're fearful that we're not good enough. So sometimes the things we do look good on the surface, but perhaps our motivation is not really from that place of knowing we are loved and precious, that Jesus sees everything about us and loves us. And Jesus wants us to share that love in all our encounters. Some of you may know that I visited Egypt earlier this year. I was thinking when Holly was praying for parts of the world uh, where Christians experience life in a much harder way than us. I was thinking back to my time in Egypt where there's been some awful persecution of Christians. You may well be aware of Coptic Christians um, who've been killed over the past couple of years. And uh, they're really strong in their love of Jesus Christ. And whilst I was in Egypt, I visited an amazing place. Some of you may have heard me tell this story before, but I visited, visited an amazing place in the middle of the desert, a place called Anaphora, which um, means lifted up. And it was started by an amazing Coptic bishop who was one of those holy people. I could just have sat at his feet uh, for ages. But he started this place in the desert as a place of healing and rest and refreshment. And... Um, it resonated with me as I was uh, thinking about this story, not least that here it is in the desert and all the life and beauty of this wonderful retreat center um, is sustained by an amazing irrigation system. Uh, and the main irrigation system at the, at the heart of it is in the form of a question mark. If you go up high enough and look down, it's a question mark. And at the dot is a little chapel. And um, Bishop Thomas, had in his mind, uh, he felt really called to have a place where people could come and bring their questions as they uh, sit before God. And that just reminded me of this passage. But then when you go into the chapel there, there is this enormous window in the chapel, in the ceiling. It's enormous and it's in the shape of an eye. And when I first went in there, I found it a little bit intimidating because it's a bit like, you know, God is watching you. And there's this huge eye there. And I felt a bit threatened as I was sitting there praying, this kind of eye of God. And then I spoke to Bishop Thomas about it. He said, no, it's actually a reminder that this is God's eye of love. It's a reminder that God sees everything about us. He said how we'd like to have had a tear running down from the eye because God looks on us, loves us, and God weeps too. And in that eye is that strange mix of being so scared that God sees everything about us and then feeling so liberated 
because God sees us and longs to forgive us and show us mercy and grace. It reminds me of Psalm 139. Many of you are very, very familiar with that psalm that talks about God knowing us from even before we were born. And it talks about how we cannot flee from God's presence. And that can seem a bit intimidating. And then we realize it's because we can't flee from God's presence. As we were singing earlier, because God is always with us and God loves us. The all-seeing all-knowing love of God. And here we see it in this encounter at the well. My one sadness in this story is that John doesn't name the woman. She had a name. Jesus would have known her name, just as Jesus knows our names, because we are individual, beautiful, precious, and loved individuals in the sight of God. But we just know her as the woman of Samaria. So as the woman in our story talks with Jesus and talks of the Messiah, the one who's been promised by God, who will reveal all truth, she hears Jesus say that he is the Messiah. Jesus is saying to her, I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for. And I don't know if you've ever had moments of great revelation in your own story, when you've discovered something about yourself or something about Jesus, and it's just taken taken your breath away. It's been life-changing. You've seen life differently. Well, here is one of those amazing moments for this woman. I wonder if we truly believe that those we encounter in the spaces of our week can actually have those moments of revelation, those moments of encounter with Jesus Christ. Do you truly believe that? Whether you're in the supermarket, whether you're in paid employment, whether you're studying, whether you're looking for work, whether you're, as I say, sitting in the hospital waiting room, whether you're caring for someone else, do you believe that in those spaces people can encounter Jesus Christ? That's why I love the Thy Kingdom Come initiative. Pray for those five people to encounter Christ amid the ordinary tasks of their everyday Now, at this point in the story, Jesus' disciples come back and again, assumptions are challenged. And what's amazing is we're told that whereas often the disciples challenge Jesus when they see him talking with people they don't think he should talk with, they don't do any of that. They can see something amazing in this encounter. And at this point, the woman goes back to the town. She probably felt a bit intimidated by all those male disciples coming back to be with Jesus. She goes back to the town. Now remember, this is a woman who's aware of all her shame. She knows the way people have looked at her and spoken to her. If social media was around at the time, I wonder what that woman would have experienced. But she goes back to the town. And something in that encounter with Jesus gave her the confidence to go back to these people she hasn't wanted to be with up till now because of her shame. And she tells them with a renewed confidence that she's met someone who could tell her everything about her. And come and see, here is the Messiah. Jesus has valued this woman. He's listened to her. He's responded to her. And she's known that love. And she's encountered something amazing. And she runs back to her town, knowing she's unique and loved and known. And amazingly, she wants to, dis- wants to share that discovery. She wants to share it with other people. It hasn't ended with her own personal encounter. She wants to go back and say to people, come and see, could this be the Christ? 
I'm even more surprised at why people don't wave her away because we know that she's carrying shame and we've got a sense of what her people in her community think of her. Somehow they listened to her. There must have been something in her face or in her voice that made them want to go and see. And the woman didn't have all the answers. I don't believe she'd worked out in her head, all right, okay, to share this, I need these five points. Uh, what are those steps of evangelism? I need to know. No, she just went and was herself and poured out her story and what she'd experienced. In, incidentally, that invitation to come and see is one we get again and again in John's gospel. People saying, come and see, come and see for yourself. Perhaps that's what we need to be saying. We don't have to have all the answers, but saying to those we encounter, come and see. Come along to Trinity. Come along and hear my story. Come and see for yourselves. And what's amazing is that we're told by John in his gospel that many Samaritans, many Samaritans came to believe in Jesus simply because of the woman sharing her story. I love it, that last bit at the end where... Um, it says, you know, we believe now, not because of what you told us, not because of what, what you, woman, told us, but we've experienced it for ourselves. I love that. I hope that I often say to people, don't believe because of this woman's words. Um, go and encounter Jesus for yourself. So that woman had been a catalyst. This is not simply about individuals making decisions for themselves about faith. This is about individuals sharing that relationship with others. And this is about communities being transformed. In our personal encounters with Christ, firstly, do we want to share that encounter with other people? And then do we want to share that encounter with Christ from people of all ages and all backgrounds? Do we want to do that not only so that they will encounter Christ themselves, but that they will be change makers in their own communities? Do we have that big vision that our encounters about transforming whole communities? Thy kingdom come. We saw it rippling out across the world. My one criticism of that wonderful film is that there are no children pictured in those um, adults. There are lots of adults. And, uh, and I said to the makers of that film, I love that film, but I wish that there had been children in it. Because children are all part of this in their schools, in their playgrounds, when they're playing sport. Their encounters, if they know Christ, are important. When Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full, this was not about individual consumerism. It was and is about us encountering Christ and then that spilling over to in our encounters in the week. Not just through what we say, through what we do, with kindness, with love, with hope, doing that thing that other people might not do in that encounter. So let me try and land some of this as I close. I pray this encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well might raise our expectations this week. You've been thinking about the green spaces. Well, when you go from here, you've gathered as church here, you will go out into those spaces of your lives and actually you continue being church. You continue being church in all those places and in all those encounters. So I pray that our expectations of how we are going to encounter Christ in the week and how others are going to encounter Christ through us this week will be changed. Lift our expectations. So first of all, will you expect to encounter Jesus in the space of your week, in all those mundane tasks? Will you expect to meet Jesus? I pray you will. I also want to invite you to look at your own shame too. 
If you are carrying shame, things you want to hide, things you just don't want to share with other people, if that's affecting the way that you will live the coming week in those different spaces, then I pray that tonight you will open yourselves afresh to that God who sees you and knows you and loves you and wants to give you forgiveness. There may be consequences of what we have to do following that forgiveness, but God loves you. So let go of your shame, because Jesus has done all that on the cross. Don't carry your shame. And then I pray that this encounter at the well might open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to how Jesus will be at work in our relationships, our encounters this week, transforming those to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. You know who you might encounter at home, at work, in places of leisure, in places of struggle and places of joy. There will also be people you don't know tonight who God will put in your path this week. And this isn't about you going out there, I always say it's not about going out with a big cheesy grin and saying, I'm a Christian, so life's wonderful, and that can be quite off-putting to some people. What you are called to be in your encounters this week is authentic. What we saw at the well was this authentic conversation going on with struggles and joy. Go out there with authenticity, whether you're crying or whether you're laughing, whether you're celebrating or struggling, but let all of it be rooted in the hope and love of Jesus Christ. Challenge your assumptions in those encounters and be open to what God can do through you in those encounters. And thirdly and finally, be expectant about what those encounters might not only do in the life of that person, but how in the life of that person other people and communities will be transformed. Be expectant about that. This is about whole networks of relationships. It's about whole communities. Seeds planted simply because of something you said or the way you acted. Seeds watered just because of something you said or the way you acted. And how that will impact someone else's life. And how they might in time know Christ and then impact the lives of others. We need that in our country, in our world. And don't we really need it at the moment? So let's keep a little bit of quiet. And I just want you to think about your week ahead now. Let's just be still and think about the people you know you will encounter. Think about the spaces where you know you will be. Offer all of that to God. And also offer to God the unknown of the week ahead, the unexpected. And then I'm going to pray a prayer to invite Christ into the midst of all of that. So let's just be still for a few moments as you think about the week ahead. Gracious God, Lord of all, Spirit of life and truth, 
Thank you that you know us, that you love us, that you already know what lies ahead for us this week. And Lord, open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to expect to encounter you, even in those spaces which seem mundane and ordinary, in those spaces where we don't particularly even want to go this week. Would you open us to be expectant to encounter you in those places? Lord, would you touch us in our places of need and shame that we might encounter your love afresh? And then, Lord, we pray for all those we will encounter in those spaces this week, the people we know about and those we don't even know that we will meet this week. Lord, would you enable us to have authentic encounters, to be open to conversation and deeds and actions that show that we long to be your light and your salt in our week. Lord, give us expectant hearts to be able to share your life and your love with those people. And Lord, if there are people that you want us to encounter Bring them across our path and don't let us miss the opportunities you give us. And Lord, don't let us be arrogant. Let us be open in those encounters to receive from all those different individuals, to be aware of our own needs. Open up those conversations where we can ask something of someone else that allows us to then share our story. And Lord, in all of this, would you transform communities? Might we share your living water, that others would share your living water, that they would share your living water, that you would go on transforming us, that your kingdom would come on earth as in heaven. And so Lord, I pray your blessing on every person here. I pray your blessing on the week ahead. I pray your blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop Rachel. It has been such an incredible joy to have you with us today. Thank you so much. There's tea and coffee at the back that will be getting ready now but we're going to um, allow space for if you'd like some prayer for any of these things we don't want you to leave without the opportunity of having some prayer if something has prompted you if something has prompted you from what Bishop Rachel has said we want to encourage you to come forward not because this space at the front has anything special to do with it but because in stepping out in taking that step forward it's saying I choose Lord to come before you of course if there's someone near you that you would like to pray for you please do also ask them but as a family if you would like prayer for anything at all whether it's prayer for healing or anything that Bishop Rachel has spoken on perhaps it's perhaps it's to do with that shame Perhaps it's that you feel that you've been held back from being who you are. 
as the band plays, whether or not you go forward for uh, come forward for prayer or go go to the back for tea and coffee, this space is open for you to come. Perhaps you feel like you want to tap into the source, the source of that living water that we are so abundantly blessed with. Perhaps you want to be given dreams by the Lord for who those are around you to come into relationship with him. Can I invite you to come now if this is something that you want to be prayed for? Would you come forward? The band will be playing and we'll worship together. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit.